Hey, thank you to Helix for sponsoring this podcast. Adam has had his Helix mattress for almost a year now, and he's loving it. It's it's actually hard to get him up. In fact, he won't stop talking about it. You'll understand what we mean when he goes into detail. Thank you for the detail, Adam, later on the episode. But for now, we want to tell our listeners about a special deal going on. Our Sleepy Time Pal Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and... As if that's not enough, two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula. This is their best offer yet, and I'll bet it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, Bonnie, you, you, you want to skip cold opens for a couple of weeks, you're saying? Yeah, I want to skip them for a couple of weeks and just try that. Now, is cold open where we talk before we actually start the show? Is that what the cold That's open? Right. That's right. Because you guys like to use jargon. Say, like, oh, that we're not going to do the cold open, or we are going to do the cold <laughs> open. It's very jargony. I think it's off-putting to the listener. Cold open. Should we have a cold open this week? Fellas, are we having a cold open? I feel like we can talk about the cold open without using that voice that you're making fun of us with. No, no, you can't really. You know, um, Bonnie <laughs> went to college, and, of course, she took a podcasting class. Sure. And uh, the professor would say, today, uh, we're going to begin talking about cold opens. Uh, cold cold open dynamics. <laughs> cold opens are a very important part of the business. It's the conversation that takes place before the show's officially begun. It can be very clever uh, or not. But I do want to point out, we're not doing one this week, Paula. No, we're not doing it. No. No. no that's no. what I asked for because I want to try not having a cold open for a while. What would that be like? I would feel so empty. I don't think it would be like this. No, no. because this is clearly a cold <laughs> open at this point. Uh, 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 Bonnie, is this your submission for your uh, cold open project for your class? It's an anti-cold open where we talk about how it's not a cold open, but in fact, it is a cold open. <laughs> <laughs> All right, are you ready to end this cold open that is not a cold open and start the show? We're not doing cold opens. Stop using that jargon. Okay. I know that's what I asked for. I, you Thank know what? You. Your wish is my command. The world will never hear this. Fuck it. Coming to you live from our houses in Los Angeles, California, it's Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, your comedy field guide to life. Tonight, did you know that the Persian shrieking beetle can be heard up to three miles away? Did you know that the Patagonian termite is the only species besides man to evolve such institutions as social dancing and income tax? Well, I didn't know that either. I just made it up. In fact, Paula and I don't really know anything about bugs. But that ends tonight as returning champion Dr. Eleanor Spicer-Rice drops by to drop some insect knowledge on us all. Plus, you can trust us exactly 66% of the time. It's the return of popular party game, Two Truths and a Lie. 
I'm Adam Felber. This show's worker ant, meticulously preparing our conversational home for the coming rhetorical winter. And now, please welcome our metaphorical grasshopper, playing fiddle with two of her arms and binging on Doritos with the other four. It's Paula Poundstone. Welcome, Paula. I am so glad that we are just beginning the show with no, you know, chuffa in front. Just beginning the show. Um, (laughs) Hey, you guys, and thanks to tonight's house band, Mark Towns from Los Angeles, California. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, he really made quite a trek to be here. Yes, thank you. (laughs) Paula Poundstone, what is new? You know, I'll tell you something. I wish that we had a resident legal expert on this show. You know, I do a lot of push-ups and planking. So my face is pretty close to my living room carpet a lot. And I vacuum almost every night, but that doesn't stop it from being just plain disgusting down there. So I went to the Bed Bath & Beyond. And I looked for like a rug washer, the kind with the water and a roller that you push like an upright vacuum. I did find one, but it was in a box. And nowhere on the box did it say that it cleans carpets. It had pictures and words saying it cleaned area rugs, laminate, and wood floors. And it looked like what I was looking for, but it did not say anywhere on the box that it cleaned carpets. And of course, the Bed Bath & Beyond being the Bed Bath & Beyond, I couldn't find anybody to ask. Um, That place is so huge. And the employees disguise themselves as kitchen utensils so that you can't find them. Finally, I found a guy and I asked him, and he said that the packaging didn't say it could clean carpets because that's what it was for. What? Yeah, what? Yeah, this is how he explained it. But it did say it could clean those other surfaces because those were extra. I think this guy usually works in the beyond because, of course, that makes no sense. (laughs) (laughs) I did buy it, but I am so worried that it's going to fall apart. And when I try to bring it back and I say it cleaned my carpet once and it broke down, they're going to say, you're what? You used it on your carpet? Does it say carpet anywhere on the box? So I... I think it's like some kind of a legal trick, which is why I wish we had a legal expert on this show. That's one reason. I'll tell you the other reason I wish we had a legal expert on this show, because my eyeglass case makes such a loud, sharp noise when I close it that I think I've actually lost some hearing. Listen. Yeah, that's loud. Do you think I have a lawsuit there? Well, if you could prove hearing damage, (laughs) possibly. What? Yeah, there you go. I don't know how much money you can get out of a big eyeglass case. Those aren't the deepest pockets in the industries. Well, I don't care. They can go to their mothers. I think I've been deafened by that. You might have been. This thing, it's making me a midlife Helen Keller. Honest to God. (laughs) It's bad enough I can't see. Then I go to get my glasses. Next thing I know, you know what? Can't hear. (laughs) That's why we need a legal expert on the show. Hey, guess what, everybody? What? What? We finished our book. That's right. Let me call to order the final episode in this current incarnation of the Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone Book Club.
You know what? I forgot that I was going to do the theme song. I think I'm so glad we're done with this book that it slipped my mind. But okay. It's brought a lot of relief to you. We got a book club. A bookie, 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 book club. We got a book club. And we're going to have a meeting tonight. Hit it. Wow. I take take advice from her. She tells me things. She's your manager. She gives me advice. I just, I, I don't know. Is there a way that the nobodies can see what just took place? Because they all made me go on stupid Zoom with the screen. And now I've seen something that I cannot unsee. <laughs> I totally agree with you. That was, it was quite a sight to behold. All right. Oh God. I want to do two summaries for this week's final chapters. I want to do a summary of how the book ends. And I want to do a summary of where we are as a book club, because we're at a very, very precarious place. We're at a critical, critical place. We finished Ruth Rendell's Dark Corners, and this is how it ends. Our protagonist, I guess, Carl, attempts to kill Dermot's widow, fails, and eventually is convinced to turn himself in. End of book. In terms of what happens with the other characters, Lizzie meets a nice guy who she may or may not ever really tell about her kidnapping, which we never learn more about, and uh, her dad is a hero for saving everybody from that bomb. But that's it. The book just kind of ends with little raggedy edges hanging off. Well, there is some connection to Carl uh, from Lizzie. Yes. And the man, I forget his name. It wasn't Adam, was it? No, it wasn't. It was. It was Adam. No, I think, was it Adam? I thought Adam was the new tenant. No, the new tenant tenant is somebody else. Adam is is Lizzie's boyfriend. So Adam, Lizzie's boyfriend, is a very nice guy. He He has a degree, I believe, in psychology. And he tells Carl that he knows... He goes to him and he says, look, I, I know that you did that. He happens to have seen him or something. And he says, and you'll feel better and you'll get a lighter sentence if you turn yourself in. And I'm not going to tell anybody about it. And then he leaves. And so for months and months, Carl thinks he's got a new tenant and the new tenant is paying good money to live there and they don't interact. So he has what he always thought would be this perfect life. And he still has anxiety eating away at him. Because the Adam guy said that he knew and he can't believe the Adam guy isn't going to tell. The Adam guy never tells. But eventually, Carl, just to get relief, goes and tell. I'll tell you the whole thing. I finally figured out, you know how Bonnie likes to analyze and get all psychological and the real self and the fake self and all that stuff, uh, which I find just intolerable. I think that this whole book, as I look back on it now, is about renter tenant relationships, which are a very unexplored area of literature and yet a very important relationship. And what do you think that this book has to say about renter-tenant relationships, Paula? (laughs) Well, I think there's a message here for landlords, uh, which is don't leave pills around. That's, I think, the main thing there. And as a tenant, of course, you know, pay up. That's so important because otherwise you're going to get some sort of ceramic duck on the back of your head. (laughs) Don't belittle the value of that. You're going to carry that with you for the rest of your life. Probably. Yeah. You know, now you have a house that you own and everything, and that's fantastic. But there may come a time when the kids move out. You want to rent out part of your house or or maybe when you downsize later, you're going to rent an apartment somewhere again. 
And these are these are lessons that you're going to carry with you. Say, for example, you were to go into an apartment building and they had like a lobby area, you know, with like a couch and a, you know, oil painting that nobody can make out what it is really. But there's a ceramic duck there on the on a coffee table. You know, you don't want to live there. You know, this is going to be the kind of book that you think about, you know, a lot. I may never think about it again, but I do want to bring this up. We're in a terrible place as a book club. Why? We had multiple censures last week because yeah. Tony Anita Hall <laughs> didn't read the chapters. And uh, both Bonnie and Paula went ahead and listened to the remaining chapters, you know, getting ahead of us to the point where neither of you really knew where the chapters that we were actually discussing with our audience ended. I mean, it was a censure fest. Well, and then Ted Cruz read the whole fucking book aloud um, during the Katanji Brown Jackson confirmation hearing. So kind of ruined it for everybody. That's absolutely true. He did. Tony Anita Hull, now that this book is done, have you started it? <laughs> I've read off and on and I have been following along in the story. That's so. not the name of the book, Tony. It's not <laughs> off and on. It's dark corners. <laughs> Tony, did you manage to read the rest of the book this week? I read the last page. <laughs> Motion to censure Tony Anita Hall. Because I wanted to know what All I just favor. how it ended. It ends with the end, pretty much. Yeah, yeah that's how it ends, which is finished. Yeah. yeah. Well, enjoy your big fat censure there, Tony Anita Hall. Thank yeah. you. Oh, boy. I did finish the book. Oh! Motion yeah. to re-censure <laughs> yeah. Tony Anita yeah. Hall for just, just egregious truth stretching. So, Tony, what is your final impression of this book you didn't read? That I, it sounds like I really dodged a bullet. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. Uh, yeah. Tony is the only one of us who will be able to have a civil conversation with Stephen King from here on in. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you, Tony. You're welcome. Now, Bonnie Burns, you've been sitting on the end of this book now for two weeks. And you know why I can't remember the specifics? Because it's so unimpressionable. And see, now that you guys got to the end, don't you agree with me that it just felt like, okay, I got to the required number of words I had to have. Done. Yeah. I think it's going to make a fantastic musical. That's what I think. <laughs> Manuel Miranda would take this on. I think we'd really have something. I got to tell you, I got to the end of this book and I was so confused by why Stephen King felt so highly about it and why it seems to have gotten such great reviews. And I think I figured out why. Why? Why? Ruth Randall died, like, as she typed the end on this book. This is a posthumous novel. <gasps> she might have even been wanting to revise it for all we know. Are you this sure? Yeah, she was like 85 years old and she wrote it and it wasn't even published till after she died. It was her last novel. And I think she got a lot of sympathy reviews because who wants to say, oh, Ruth Rendell just died, but, you know, it's not such a loss because her last novel was shit. I don't know, because I feel like in an obituary, they don't have to say in her last book wasn't as good as the rest of them. Wait, they don't say that in an obituary? We're talking about a review. What kind of obituaries have you read? <laughs> Why would Stephen King say this is one of his most favorite books? She's not even alive to hear him say that. I think it's 2015 and he's giving her a positive <laughs> review and he's feeling very sentimental. And so maybe he overstates it. I just want to go back to Bonnie Burns's obituary idea. So who reviews somebody's <laughs> book in their obituary? Paul Poundstone choked to death on a Dorito. Boy, she was never that funny. Uh, 
understand why you associate the two things. We were talking about reviews, and all of a sudden you start talking about obituaries. You know, you you get so negative sometimes, Bonnie. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You go so dark. Can you censure Bonnie again? Could you just censure Bonnie? No, no, wait. Bo motion to censure Bonnie Byrne. <laughs> okay. I did manage to pull up her obituary, and it says, Ruth Rendell found dead by man with cane and spotted hat. <laughs> Okay, wait, I have something to say. Oh, boy. So, you know, I finished this book. I started listening to Dave Grohl's uh, The Storyteller. For our listeners, Dave Grohl was famously the drummer for Nirvana, but after Kurt Cobain's death, he became the front man for the Foo Fighters. Foo Fighters. And I read somewhere that he's one of the most influential rock musicians of the last 20 years. Certainly. This guy... He certainly influenced my rock. <laughs> okay. This guy really knew how to turn a phrase. I thought his writing was so beautiful. And, you know, Paul has been all on me about the guy in the polka-dotted hat and the cane or whatever. Oh, does, does Dave Grohl use that? Does he say spotted hat? No. When I was listening to this book, I was like, okay, this is exactly what I've been talking about. So I was going to just read you a little excerpt, which is... Um, I'm, I'm just, into this. Go ahead. Okay. He had just done the concert for the Sandy Hurricane, I think it was. Victims of Hurricane Sandy, that would make sense. Yeah, Sandy yeah, yeah. being the hurricane in New Jersey yeah. in about yeah, five yeah. years ago, whatever, yeah. Right, in Madison Square Garden. And he goes to, like, the after party afterwards, and he walks in the room, and there's, like, two guys there, one on each end. And one guy had, like... Um, Quite a party, two guys there. Yeah. One on each end. Woo! So one guy had a shiny appearance of a brand-new luxury car, perfectly dyed hair, spray tan, and a recently refurbished smile that had the look of a fresh box of chiclets an obvious attempt at fending off the aging process, which ultimately had the adverse effect, giving the appearance of an old wall with too many layers of paint. Now that's... That's good. A that's a goddamn spotted right? hat that guy. Yeah, that's fantastic. Okay, so here's this was my more favorite part of that. Then he describes this guy on the other side of the room, and he says, the other had uh, the appearance of a vintage burned-out hot rod, Wiry gray hair, deep lines carved into a scowl, teeth that could have belonged to George Washington, and a black T-shirt that hugged a barrel-chested frame so tightly you immediately knew that this was someone who did not give one flying fuck. That's that good, too. It's yeah. descriptive, right. Yeah. I thought, but wait a minute. When we argued about your spotted hat and cane thing, you said you didn't want description. No. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I'm Adam, just going to stand back. No, 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 so no, no. I'm so sick of talking to her about Duke this. Duke it out, you two. <laughs> <laughs> and where are my worms? Well, Wendell's been gone. Oh, okay. So here's a part two of this story. I like this guy so much that I decide... I'm going to get a poster of Dave Grohl and hang it in my bedroom. So I go on his website, and, you know, I didn't like any of the posters. Oh. But there was this pillow that had a picture of Dave Grohl on the front, and I thought, this will be really funny. I'll get a pillow with the face of Dave Grohl, and I'll put it in my living room on the couch with all the other pillows that match, like, the fabric and all that. Okay. So now the pillow comes, and... This is such a creepy photo of Dave Grohl. It looks like his eyes are following you, and I couldn't see it on our couch. So, Did you bring uh, it? Can we see it? I did bring it. This is what it looks like. Can you see it? Oh, yeah. 
No, I think that's, that looks pretty good, actually. Yeah. You want this on a pillow on your couch? Oh, well, so, yeah, so but you, wait a minute. That's yeah. a, I, I recognize that, that photo. Too. That's a pretty standard photo of that guy. How could you go on a website, see the pillow, and then buy it, and then be like, I'm not putting that on my couch? No, what? because... Do you want this on your living room couch to stare nope. at you all the time? Look That's at it. why I wouldn't have bought it off of a website. Didn't you look at it? Okay. Also, so Bonnie, I want to I- point out to our <laughs> listeners that what you held up looks more like a pillowcase than a pillow. Right, because I'm getting to that. Here's the pillow, but I didn't want to take it out of the sanitary bag. Oh, so it came with a pillow. Okay. So my thought was, why don't we... Give the pillow to a nobody. People can submit their names. No, no, I, I can do this. Um, I'll tell you, tell you what, everybody, uh, nobody's out there. If you would like a never used, brand new, slightly creepy Dave Grohl <laughs> pillow, like the one <laughs> you're going to see in this creepy. picture. Um, <laughs> it's creepy. You can, you can submit your name at our Facebook page or at nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com. Your name will be thrown in a hat. We'll do a drawing and you will be the winner. Thank you. Of, of a Dave Grohl pillow in honor of Ruth Rendell's dark corners. <laughs> yeah, it all really weaves together. There you go. Wow. Boy, wow. that was just, we learned so much about Bonnie and the fact that she shops online and doesn't look at what it is she's buying and how the emptiness she felt when she came to the end of dark corners it made her lash out, <laughs> as near as I can tell. And I guess that brings us to the end of Ruth Rendell's Dark Corners. Does anybody have any last words they want to say about it? Tony, you don't get any. <laughs> we have to do better. What do you mean we have to do better? Yeah, we've had, what was before Ruth Rendell? Fight Club. Well, that one, at least if you're at a party, you could start a conversation like, what do you think of Fight Club? And you'd sound like you were well-read. That's a good point. You know what, everybody? Uh, nobody's. We're going to take a week or two off from the book club, but we are going to we're going to pick a new book. We've already gotten a bu- bunch of great suggestions from you. You know what? The whole party conversation thing. Somebody could say to you, "What do you think of Ruth Rendell's Dark Corners?" And you could say, um, "I really don't like Dave Grohl." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that makes all the sense in the world. And with that, I am bringing a close to this edition of no, our... No, wait, before, before we close out... <laughs> I got the gavel before right we, here. No, before we close out, can we just can we just censure Bonnie one more time? Oh, yes. <laughs> Motion Go to censure ahead. Bonnie Burns. Censure me. <laughs> cha-cha-cha, cha-cha-cha. We got a book club. Cha-cha-cha-cha-cha. <laughs> Bonnie, you are, as always, out of order. And we are done with this. Paula, do you have a word for us this week? Oh, thank goodness I do, Adam. I have a word. It's vicissitude. It's a noun that means a change of circumstances or fortune, typically one that is unwelcome or unpleasant. Here, I'll use it in a sentence. The election of a Republican majority in the Congress would be a vicissitude that kills our democracy. I'll tell you something. I wish I could remember vicissitude because I'm hoping I hear it a lot in oligarch updates on the news. Let's put it right into the vocabulary song. (laughs) 
this week's word is vicissitude. It's a noun that means a change of circumstances or fortune, typically one that is unwelcome or unpleasant, like when rich people run out of glass to put over their pheasant. Last week's word was abstemious. It's an adjective that means deliberately limiting one's consumption of food or alcohol. I'll leave the rest of the fun-sized three musketeers at the end of the hall. The week before that, the word was alley. It can be a noun that means a witty or lively reply. Tucker Carlson tucks his brains in his fly. Going back before that, the word was fecund. It's an adjective whose second meaning is producing many new and creative ideas. Edible hats made of tortillas. Let's never forget Gallimaufry, which I pronounced wrong until nobody James Hyder corrected me. It's a noun that means confused jumbler medley of things. Hodgepodge, who's podge, hodgepodge. Adam doesn't think my song is replicable, replicable, replicable. But I do, I do, I do, I do. Oh, that was it. Bravo! Vicissitude. You know what it means? Nope. A change of circumstances or fortune, typically one that is unwelcome or unpleasant. Vicissitude. Tony Anita Hall. If you can, without Googling, no Googling at all, don't touch Google. If you can tell me which of five quotes comes from someone with garrulity, which is a former, nobody listens to Paula Poundstone vocabulary word. If you can do that with no Googling, no matter how much you may want to Google, we will give literally dollars worth of advertising to Carol's books at 1913 Del Paso Boulevard in Sacramento, California. And it would be our pleasure to give literally dollars worth of advertising to Carol's books at 1913 Del Paso Boulevard in Sacramento, California, which is why I hate to even consider the possibility that you will not be able to, without Googling, tell me which of five quotes comes from someone who has garrulity. But if that happened, we would not be able to give literally dollars worth of advertising to Carol's Books at 1913 Del Paso Boulevard in Sacramento, California. Tony Anita Hall, are you <laughs> ready? Yes. Oh, you sound ready, Tony. Which of the following quotes comes from someone who has garrulity? A, if you're trying to hurt me, you'll have to come at me harder than that. B, I'm sorry, I never should have come into your china shop. I broke a teacup, and then I backed into the shelf behind me, and I don't even know what these shards were before I broke whatever it was. C, give me all the money in the drawer. D, I get up at 9 o'clock. Well, actually, I didn't get up right away. My alarm went off, but then I pushed the snooze button. I have satin sheets. It's so hard to get out of satin sheets. I wear satin pajamas, too. Sometimes it's really slippery. My golden doodle jumped up on my bed one time, like about three or four years ago, and he just slid right off. Four. It was four years ago because that's when I first got my satin sheets and they were really slippery when they were new. Now, they're a little coarse. I mean, not like sandpaper. They're still very smooth compared to any other fabric. It's just that over time, they get a little less slippery. Or E, I've dreamed of being an Olympic skater my whole life and nothing and nobody is going to stop me. Okay, so nobody over 60 has ever skated in the Olympics before, but that doesn't mean it can't be done. 
Spell it. G-A-R-R-U-L-I-T-Y. That didn't help me at all. No matter how much you may want to Google, Tony, just don't do it. And no matter how much you may be tempted, do not ask her to repeat those options. I will not ask her to repeat the options. Um, I'm going to go with the skating one. Uh, The skating one, which is, I've dreamed of being an Olympic skater my whole life and nothing and nobody is going to stop me. Okay, so nobody over 60 has ever skated in the Olympics before. That doesn't mean it can't be done. I'm sorry, Tony Anita. (laughs) (laughs) But the answer is D, because Wait, what was D again, Paula? Uh, <laughs> was, that the, was that the silk sheet one? Yes. Oh, yes. that was actually my gut guess, but I ignored it. Oh, boy. That's You'd okay. think you would have learned that lesson from Dark Corners. Because garrulity <laughs> is a noun that means excessive talkativeness, especially on trivial matters. I am so Sorry, uh, Tony, you've been doing fabulous at this uh, challenge, but, uh, you know, today you've been knocked off your horse, so we will not be able to give literally dollars worth of advertising to Carol's Books at 1913 Del Paso Boulevard in Sacramento, California. Sorry. Oh, Carol's books. Sorry, Carol's books. I feel really guilty. Yeah. yeah. We wish we could advertise <laughs> Carol's books at 1913 Del Paso Boulevard in Sacramento, California. Nothing would give me more pleasure. Wouldn't, can't be done. Carol's books, 1913 Del Paso Boulevard, <laughs> Sacramento, California. Cannot be done. Coming up, John Lasseter once said, of all bugs growing up, I just love the pill bugs. They roll up, you play with them, you wait for them to open up, and then when you touch them, they roll up again. I just love that. Said a spokesman for pill bugs, we didn't. We'll explore the insect world when we come back. Hey, Paula. You know, every once in a while, we get a new advertiser that I get super excited about. And I have to say, just because of the circumstances of my life right now, I'm really excited about our new advertiser, Quince of Quince.com, the clothing provider. Not to be mistaken for Quince from Midsummer Night's Dream. And let me just say this, and maybe it's not important to an advertisement, but when I was in the fourth grade, our class put on a production of a midsummer night's dream okay and i played i played peter quince there there's the connection one of the mechanicals that's a great connection also yes has nothing to do with this which is that um quince is an online clothing store and as you know paula i've uh, i've lost a little weight lately oh right 75 pounds yeah so i literally have no clothes that are in my size until i just ordered some stuff at quince and i figured like here's a chance for me to create a new look for myself A whole new image. And how's it going? Not bad. I mean, the clothes are fantastic. I know that you ordered some too. What I got is I got the Comfort Stretch Traveler five pocket pants. And I got the, um, oh, it's so, and I got the 100% European linen shirt and it looks breezy and it fits beautifully. These are like premium pieces of clothing that are selling for like, you know, $30 a piece or starting at $30 at quince.com. It's awesome. I look good. I ordered the brushed lounge jogger and you know i put them on when i came back from new york i pulled them on and i i swear to you okay this is not scientific because i was tired already right 
but they were so soft <laughs> and, and so comfortable that honestly, like right as I got them up to my waist, I I, I think my eyes closed. They're so it's a softness, it's a kind of softness that I don't think I've ever experienced in a garment, honestly. You know, my uh, drawstring European linen trousers are a little bit like that, too. Like, so comfortable that I just want to hang out with myself. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're European. Keep that in mind. They're oh, European. they are so European. And you can get those kinds. Of, you can get washable silk tops. You can get 14-karat uh, gold jewelry and, like, all these accessories. When sells a lineup of timeless pieces that keep their customers looking effortlessly chic year after year. I'm not certain that I look chic, but certainly if I did, it's not going to take a lot of effort. I now look chic and I feel pretty great. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabric. It's all good as far as I can see. Is it my imagination or do they cut out the middleman? They cut out the middleman, Paula Poundstone. I love it when they cut out the middleman. That's the thing, they cut out the middleman. That's fantastic. <laughs> so be like me and Paula. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash nobody for free shipping on your order and a 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash nobody to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash Nobody. And honestly, I look fantastic. Paula, you won't be able to keep your hands off me. Oh, I can't wait. And don't <laughs> think that if you had to return something, don't think you're sending it to a middleman because they cut out the middleman. They man. cut out the middleman. That's quince.com slash nobody. And if you're going to do it anyway. Use our code. Hey, Paula, it's been almost a year now since I got my Helix mattress. And as you remember, there was some drama surrounding Helix mattresses. Because oh, when oh my Helix gosh. first sponsored us, Bonnie took the mattress and yeah. she's been loving it. But finally, I got my chance to get a Helix mattress and I sleep so well. I mean, the family bed is where we all gather. We watch movies in, in our room occasionally and everybody just piles on it and it it's comfy. And yet when one person hops on, the other half of the mattress doesn't fly up. I'm a fan. Well, you know, Adam, everybody is unique and everyone sleeps differently. That's why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. Models with memory foam layers to provide optimal pressure relief if you sleep on your side. Models with a more responsive foam to cradle your body for essential support in stomach and back sleeping positions plus enhanced cooling features to keep you from overheating at night. And if your spine needs some extra TLC, they got you. Every Helix mattress has a hybrid design combining individually wrapped steel coils in the base with premium foam layers on top. It is the perfect combination of comfort and support. I agree with that last bit. I don't get all the technical stuff about the mattress, but it is soft and supportive. Helix offers 20 unique mattresses, the award-winning Lux, which I got, and ultra-premium Elite Collections, the Helix Plus, a mattress designed for big and tall sleepers, and the Helix Kids mattress designed for growing bodies and endorsed by child sleep experts, and my daughter now wants one. So, how will you know which Helix mattress works best for you and your body? You go to their website, take the Helix Sleep Quiz, and you find your perfect mattress batch in under two minutes. You know, when you said you can't follow all the technical stuff, it's really not that technical. You know, uh, no matter what way you sleep, they have a mattress that will support and comfort you. How hard is that? Uh, you know, when you say it that way, it seems a lot simpler. I take it back. 
That's my boner. And your personalized mattress is shipped straight to your door, free of charge. And Helix knows there's no better way to test out a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. That's why they offer a 100-night trial and a 10- to 15-year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. Well, I like that there's a warranty, but they can pry that mattress from my cold, dead hands. I took the sleep quiz. I was matched with the Helix Midnight Lux. I got the Lux. And I love it. It is such an upgrade from my old mattress. You know, I think Bonnie got the Midnight Lux. She did. Too. Yeah. You're not here. (laughs) (laughs) Don't want to take Adam's word for it? Well, you got Bonnie's word. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It's even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Your Sleepy Time Pal Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. That's a lot, and it's already not that expensive a mattress. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula. This is their best offer yet. It's fantastic. It won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Well, not right now. And if you're going to get it anyway, use our code. A detective came and knocked on the door and I said, is it Renee? And he just gave me that solemn look. It was the worst day ever. The Proof Podcast is back with a new case and a new season. 23 years ago, 18-year-old Renee Ramos went missing. Her body was later found in an empty Home Depot building on the edge of town. I don't think that they arrested the right people. It's about time somebody's trying to do something. She had a black eye about two weeks before she was murdered. They are involved. They definitely had her body and her backpack. You know people are going to judge you, right? Of course. They're judging me now. They've been judging me damn near my whole life. You can listen now to season two of Proof, wherever you get your podcasts. And follow along with us as we reinvestigate the murder at the warehouse. I have to ask, did you kill Renee? day in unremarkable history, Pope Benedict XVI said, XVI. That's 16, isn't it? Thank you, house band Mark Towns. We are back. Paula Poundstone, how's life out on the farm for you? You know, Adam, because of my worm farming, I've really become one with nature. It's not just a farm, really. It's a ranch. It's a worm ranch. I saddle up those worms in the morning and I head out into the great wide Santa Monica outdoors. And nothing nature can serve up grosses me out. I deal with animal waste and vomit and dead shit. Remember that scene in The Empire Strikes Back where Han Solo guts that creature and puts Luke inside of it for warmth? I could do that if I I had to. (laughs) I think I could, but... But indoors, I don't like bugs. I saw a termite and a fruit fly in my kitchen yesterday. Ew. I mean, they don't belong there. I actually saw two more termites today. And I saw a big logie fly on my porch. It won't be long until they're in my house. Where do they come from? Why are they there? I'm freaking out, Adam. I wish I knew something about these gross creatures. 
Well, hold on there, Paula Poundstone, because this is an amazing and outstanding coincidence. We happen to have at our disposal right here one of our favorite guests ever. She's been on several times. Won't you welcome author and scientist from North Carolina, Dr. Eleanor Spicer Rice, right here. Yay. Hey. Hi, Eleanor. Eleanor. Welcome back. Thank you. I'm so glad to be back. Oh, thanks for being here. Eleanor, you have some very impressive credentials, of course, and, and you are a fan favorite, but how well do we really know you? Eleanor, give us two truths and a lie about yourself, and let's find out. Or two truths and a lie. Yep. Yeah. Popular party okay. game. You're going to tell us three statements about Dr. Eleanor Spicer Rice, and between me and Paula, we're going to decide which one is the lie. Okay. All right. Here's my first one. Are you ready? Ready. Yeah. This, this October... I will run the Baltimore Marathon, and that will be the sixth marathon that I have completed. Here's my second Ooh. one. After 13 years as a scout in Girl Scout Troop 69, I received my Gold Scout Award, which is the highest honor, the highest award for a Girl Scout. Or number three, I was once stung by honeybees more than 50 times in one day. Oh, my gosh. Do honeybees sting? Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm glad that you're having me here today, if that's a question that you're asking, Paula. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think anybody who's as into bugs as Eleanor is is probably going to get stung. Baltimore uh, Marathon, I find that plausible. Girl Scout Troop 69 almost sounds like a comedy writer came up with that number. I, okay, I think that A is the lie. Is that the marathon? Yeah. Okay. I think the Girl Scout thing is the lie. But she lives in she lives in North Carolina. Not everybody who lives in North Carolina is a Girl Scout, Paula. No, but my point is, why would she be running a marathon in Baltimore if she lives in North Carolina? You have to kind of travel around to do those things. I'm going with B. I'm saying B is a lie. All right, B is which one? B the Girl, Girl Scouts? Scout. No, she's absolutely a Girl Scout. I think so too. But did she win the highest honor? Yeah. You don't win it, Adam. You earn it. Yeah, they invented the highest honor for her. Yeah. All right, so Eleanor, you've got Paula guessing A, me guessing B. Which is the lie? Paula is right. I would never run a marathon. Oh, well done, Paula <laughs> I was in Girl Scout Troop 69, and nobody told me what 69 meant until I was in college. So I had lots of matching T-shirts with my best friends that said 69 on them. <laughs> oh, I didn't even, you know, Adam said it sounded like a comedy writer wrote it, and I had no idea why he said that. So, okay, now I get it. You were stung 50 times one day? Yes, it was terrible. That was the first time I ever visited a beehive, and a stick had fallen on it. And I had just read The Secret Life of Bees, and I was an idiot. And I moved the stick, and it was just like in the cartoons. Like, it all came up, and it was like they formed an arrow and pointed at me and just oh went after Oh, my gosh. Me. So, oh, my yes. Lord. That's horrible. It was really, it was a lot of bee stings, but yes. Yeah. But I would rather have that happen than run a marathon. <laughs> I'm with you on that, sister. All right. Now, Eleanor, Paula has some bug questions, and then our listeners have some bug questions. So, Paula, let's get to the bugging. It's the bugapalooza. Um, Eleanor, I just saw my first big Logie fly of the season yesterday. Fortunately, it was outside, but they'll be in my house soon. They are two or three times the size of a regular house fly. And they're not jet black like a house fly. They're a lighter colored and they might even have stripes. 
They're much slower than a house fly. That's why I call them big logie flies. I get a lot of them in my house most every year. It's a kind of fly, but but what could, is there a name for that? Do you recognize that? Okay, well, I, I realized after you asked me that, that logie fly is a name that you made up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, logie, they're slow. Yeah, I was like, what is a, is that some sort of local fly name or something? No, they're like lovers. Yeah. They're very slow. Um, and uh, I end up crushing a lot of them with like a little piece of Kleenex. They're, they're not hard to kill. There are these flies called sarcophagid flies. And you can Google them. And that is what I'm thinking is coming into your house. And sarcophagid flies get their name from sarcophagus. They eat dead things. So they eat roadkill. They eat the animals that climb under your house to die. They're about one and a half times the size of house flies. They're gray and they have stripes and they just fly really slow. Like they're not in any kind of hurry. Yeah, that that sounds right. So about middle of the summer, you know, their roadkill starts kind of getting picked up, picking up a little bit more. It's warming up. And they're breeding in those dead animals and they are making their way into your house. Sometimes they're actually really useful. Um, People call me because they'll find like 10 or 15 of them in their house because they always are trying to get back out after that. And we'll figure out that a mouse has died in their house or something else has like climbed under the house to die and you can remove the dead animal. Oh, Do you think Paula yeah. needs to get rid of her carcass collection then, maybe? Oh, <laughs> is it your carcass collection? <laughs> yeah, that could be it. That could be it. I have a big ceramic duck just as you come in my house. Um, all right, so dead <laughs> things. They indicate dead things. All right. They also indicate the summertime, though, because there's a lot of dead stuff in the summertime. So they can just, like, make their way into your house on accident. If you leave the door open or something, they'll just fly on in. And then they want to get out. Best time to die in the summer because yes. you'll break down faster. All right. Yeah, but like, you uh, know, like a house fly will land on your food. Yeah. These logie flies you're talking about are usually, you just see them kind of cruising around or trying to ping at the windows. They don't want to eat your food because they're looking for dead stuff. All right. While we're at it, what's the lifespan of the big flies? Do we know of those, of the uh, sarcophagus flies or whatever it was you said? Uh, just a, a few weeks to a couple months. And then in the summer, they can live longer. And, you know, those are the flies that you, when you see those crime scene shows, those are the flies that they help use to determine what time of death was because oh. they develop at a certain rate based on the temperature. So if you know what the temperature is outside, you can see exactly how old because they can find the body within minutes. As soon as you die, your your smells start to change. And so they can tell pretty close something's been out there. They also found things like, you know, some drugs that people take, um, Mm -hmm. like uh, cocaine or some stimulants that people take. It will speed up the metabolism of these flies. So they're able, even if the bodies have decomposed beyond the point of them testing for this stuff, they can find it in the flies, how fast the flies have um, developed (laughs) on these dead bodies to help them solve crimes. So it's really cool. We've had a lot of cases where I'm from in North Carolina where the flies have actually helped. um, Like, uh, for example, there was a man here whose wife went jogging and never came back, according to him. And the entomologist here at the university was able to determine that he lied about when she went jogging because 
he could see how long these sarcophagid flies, how old the larvae were on the body. And they were hours older than he said that she went missing. He's in prison now. Wow. Some of the flies had a cigar and a little trench coat. That, they're yes. Colombo flies. Those yes, are Colombo <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's fascinating. Okay, while we're at it, what is the lifespan of a house fly? Flies, once they're adults, they can live for a couple of weeks to a month. Um, in the wintertime, they get real still and kind of quiet and they can hi- sort of hibernate. It's what we call it, sort of quiescence. And they can last through the winter, but usually just a couple of weeks to a month as an adult. Now, the maggots take a few days, you know, like a week or so to to develop into the flies. Flies, you know, are like um, butterflies in that they have complete metamorphosis, but instead of caterpillars, they have maggots. I found maggots on my bunny one time. He, My bunny had an injury that I didn't realize, uh-huh. and there was these maggots in it. So, And I didn't know that was a thing, so I took it to the oh, vet. Oh, yeah. And the vet said it was actually a good thing because mm-hmm. they were eating the decayed flesh from the bunny's injury. And he shaved around it. And uh, I would rather be anywhere but near that story right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, people are even today are using maggots to help treat injuries because they do only eat the decayed part. And like many aquatic creatures, instead of peeing like we pee, um, we pee, you know, urea or like regular land dwelling bugs pee, they pee uric acid. Um, Maggots pee what things that live in aquatic environments pee, which is ammonia. So as they're going through eating all your dead tissue, they're disinfecting the area with their pee, with the ammonia. So people are using this to treat tricky wounds. I think we talked about this on this show about a year ago. Weren't maggots used in World War One? Wasn't that the precursor to Thank a Maggot Day? Yeah. Um, <laughs> th- yeah, I think that's how we kicked off Thank a Maggot uh, Day. Do you know how they used houseflies in World War One? It was terrible. They killed like 500,000 people. No, it's World War Two. I think. Um, Japan. So I guess that would be World War Two, right? Yeah. Japan. Yeah, so in, in World War Two. What they would do is they made bombs and on one side of the bomb, they have houseflies. And then on the other side of the bomb, they had gross bacteria that could make you sick, like the bacteria that caused cholera. And then they would drop these gazillions of houseflies and cholera down in on these villages in China. And the flies would come out and infect people because they fly around and they put the bacteria on your food, right? So they killed almost 500,000 people in World wow. War II. Wow. It was terrible. That's nasty. Oh, yeah, my it's, gosh. It's entomological warfare. It's terrible. Now I'm worried about Mike Pence. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. A few years back, we had these little moths. I call them pantry moths. Don't look it up. It's just what I call them. because They really they are the- called pantry moths. Are they? They they were in the pantry. No, are are they really? Yes. I couldn't figure out what they were after in the pantry. And I smushed them and I smushed them and there were still more. They were about the size of half an aspirin. They were like a a kind of beigey, almost white, kind of a California chic hue. Uh, I live in Santa Monica, California, but I was on vacation in Massachusetts that same summer and Susan Massiero's house was besieged by them. I'm not saying that I brought them because I didn't, but she she had already had them for a while when I when I got there. Um, eventually, we figured out that their larva was in the uncooked rice. Um, oh, yeah. 
people often call them Indian meal moths, but um, they're really, really hard to get rid of because they can eat anything. Yeah, they were hard to get rid of. Their caterpillar babies are called wax worms. But the reason they're so hard to get rid of everything is because their babies are really small at first and they can chew through plastic and cardboard. So they'll just, they might've been in the rice at the time, but they'll just go into your cereal and they can go from there to your chocolate or dog food or cat food. They can eat anything and you can either throw everything out. And then after that, you've got to clean all the counters with vinegar and water to get rid of the eggs. They're really, really hard. They can live in your clothes. They can eat your, the cotton or the, you know, the natural fibers in your clothes. They, they're very, very, very hard to get rid of, but they're kind of cool to watch. No. You know, Thomas Eisner once said, bugs are not going to inherit the earth. They own it now. So we might as well make peace with the landlord. And if that's true, I guarantee we're not getting our security deposit back. More with Dr. Eleanor Spicer Rice when we come back. The Cat of the Week is Fury from London, Ontario. I'm back out performing in theaters, which is good because cats don't laugh. And the city workers digging up the pipes in the alley for the last month were not enjoying my work. You, sir, with the shovel and the reflective vest, uh, what do you do for a living? Ma'am, you want to get the fuck out of here? Well, how does that title look on a business card? Ma'am, do you want to get the fuck out of here? What skills are required for that job? So... It'll be good to be back with you in a theater. I have missed you so much. If you'll come vaxxed or tested and masked, we'll be able to revel in a night of healing laughter again and again and again. And I won't get hit with a shovel. Listener, it's Zach Harper, Amin Al Hassan, and Anthony Mays of Cinephobe. You may be asking yourself, what is Cinephobe? I mean, would you like to fill in the people? Cinephobe is the podcast where Zach and I watch movies that are poorly rated on Rotten Tomatoes and try to ascertain. I'll try to well. ascertain? Yes. Okay. Ascertain. Whether or not they're accurately poorly rated, or maybe they didn't get a fair shake. Cinephobe, produced by this guy, Anthony Mays. Hey, that's me. I produced this show. I also watched the movies, even though that wasn't included in the description, and I also ascertained. <laughs> This month is... Wow! Oh, Maze, why do you say that? Supercharge it. (laughs) So that this promo can remain evergreen. I feel like explaining a little bit more. In 60 seconds? I don't know. Maybe I don't bring attention to it. Assuring people like, look, if you listen, you're going to get it. Just give it, give it time. That's a good promo. Just listen to it. Give it time. You'll figure it out. Is this the promo right now? Isn't it? Okay, I think we got it. Cinefo. Wherever you get podcasts. And we're back with Dr. Eleanor Spicer Rice. Paula? Hey, Eleanor. Um, all right. We got some questions from our nobodies because uh, everybody has bug questions. We could do an annual bug show. Yeah, we asked on Facebook and Twitter and we got this avalanche of bug questions. 
Yeah, almost like an infestation of bug questions. Um, is it true that you can make termites bend to your will by drawing a line on some paper with a ballpoint pen? Um, this is uh, Lynn Den on Facebook asks, I heard they follow the line because the ink mimics their pheromones. Also, what is the most delicious bug? Oh, so this is a, a two-part like, question. I like both of these questions because they are completely not related to each other. <laughs> and when I, the first answer to the question about the termites is yes, it's absolutely true. And I made a video for y'all if you want to show her of, of what's going on. But it has to be a certain kind of pen. It needs to be a blue papermate pen. Oh, my gosh. Well, I have problems with termites, so I'm very excited about this. <laughs> yes, um, just, this is real. You can take your pen, your blue papermate pen, and you just draw a line and it will follow it. It mimics their trail pheromones. Nobody knows what papermate did to have the same trail pheromone as the most common type of termite, in, which is the eastern subterranean termite in this area. And so th they'll just follow it right on out. It's fun. You can draw pictures and they'll follow your pictures. It's just great. That is crazy. Yeah, it's wonderful. So I can take a piece of paper and draw a line on it. And I can put papers like going out, say, the door and yes. it would make the termites leave my house. Right. But there's still a termite queen somewhere in your house. You need to find out where your rotting wood is, Paula. It's uh, the foundation of the house. Okay, you can, <laughs> go ahead and fix that. Well, I don't own this house. I have a landlord and, uh, you know, she has a big ceramic duck, so I yeah. can't. Um, I know I have a landlord who says stuff to me like, oh, you know, my brother says they're not, you know, they're not the kind that eat the wood. <laughs> I, I I don't know what to say to that. I, and I can see, like, I can walk across my living room rug and feel some holes underneath it. They're good at eating that wood. Yeah, they're good at that's their job. That's why they're so valuable to the rest of the world outside of your house, because they're they're super useful in the natural world. Terrible for houses. Yeah. But yeah, so. that's how it goes. Good, good thing you don't have the kind that eat wood, Paula. Yeah. Oh, no, <laughs> yeah. I don't have the wood eating kind. So I'm I'm all clear. I'm all clear there. Um, You're all clear. They're not dirty, though. So the thing about if you see a termite in your house. It's uh -huh. not like seeing those flies in your house. They're not going to transmit diseases. You know, when a fly, a grown-up fly can only eat liquid, right? So when it gets to your food and if it's solid and they want to eat it, they barf on it. Ah, oh, Jesus. And they use their barf to digest the food outside their body. And then they sponge it up with these little spongy mouth parts. So they can make you sick. No one asked you about that, Eleanor. You brought up house flies. Yeah, but who among <laughs> us hasn't done this at a party or two? Okay. But but the termites aren't gross like this. They're not gross. They can't. Yeah. They're not going to transmit diseases. And if you don't own the house, that's their problem. Until you fall in through the floor. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what's going to happen eventually. But hopefully, I'll. I don't know. I'm gonna. I'm gonna move out slowly over time. Do bugs acknowledge or interact with other species, like in the Bugs Life movie? Uh, that's a question um, from Lucas. Lucas Patterson. Nobody. Lucas Patterson. Okay, Lucas. So the thing about it is, oh, we did we want to say what the most delicious insect was? Oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Absolutely. Go ahead. Well, I don't really know. That's why I was just wondering if we wanted to say oh, okay. the reason. Well, I, no. But there is something. <laughs> this is something that's important for all of us, which is that every person, the average person, not vegetarians, but the average person eats two pounds of insects a year because there's so many maggots in our food. And in our vegetables and then, you know, so 
We are all eating. If you think about how small an insect is and how many it would take to weigh two pounds, we eat a lot of insects a year, whether we know it or not. And the FDA has regulated all these like ways that we can eat insects where it's not illegal. So like if you have peanut butter, you can have every hundred gram of peanut butter, you can have 30 insect parts in every gram. Wow. I I heard that fig newtons were a big source of insect. Oh, they are. And you know why? It's kind of beautiful. Um, Figs are only pollinated by this one wasp. The fig flower and the, the way the fig is shaped can only have this one tiny, tiny, tiny wasp go in there and pollinate it. And they die after they pollinate their babies go in. So they all kind of sacrifice their life to, to make these beautiful figs. But they're in there when you eat them. So we're eating them and they're everywhere anyway. I don't know what the best tasting one is, but we all eat bugs. Um, but if bugs acknowledge people back to um, uh, each other, like that Lucas was saying, yeah, um, yeah other like species. interact with other species of bugs. Yeah, they do all the time. I study ants, so I know the most about ants and they mm-hmm. have intricate interactions with all kinds of creatures. Ants harbor all kinds of different species in their nests. Um, they can have beetles and flies and spiders and butterflies in their nest. And they some of them is because they willingly do it. The, the, the creatures will produce food and, and feed them. And sometimes it's because the creatures have tricked the ants into thinking that they are ants too. And so they'll just take them along with them. A lot of spiders, they've evolved to, to look exactly like ants. It's called a myrmecophilic spider or to smell just like ants. And then they hang out with the ants all the time. Sometimes they eat them and sometimes they just gain the protection of the colony. And a lot of plant species too need ants to take care of them. So anyway, yes, bugs interact with other bugs all the time. Sometimes because they're being sneaky and sometimes because they need each other. Hey, um, <laughs> now we've, we've got Chris Armour from Facebook. He, he had this to ask you. He said, definitely ask about fireflies. How do they light up? What do they eat? We have them here in summer, especially on hot, humid days, and they are the most wonderful things ever. I agree. Oh, Chris, I agree. They are the most wonderful things ever. The first thing to know about fireflies before we talk about how they light up is that they're not flies, they're beetles. In their abdomen, they have these special cells called lantern cells, and their lantern cells make an enzymatic reaction with this enzyme called luciferase. Basically, They allow oxygen into these special cells. Enzymes get together and what they produce out of that reaction is light. So they can control it by adding oxygen into their cells and letting this enzymatic reaction take place or removing oxygen from the cells and then their light goes out. And why do they do it? Because one is that most fireflies taste really bad. And so they think that this is kind of a warning coloration. Seeing things that light up could warn things that they don't want to eat it because they taste bad. But the Uh other reason that they light up is because they're trying to find a mate. So what happens is the females sit in the grass and the males fly around and they blink out this love song. And the love song that they're blinking out is species specific. So there's more than 2,000 species of fireflies in this world. They each have their own light blinking song. And the females know their species songs and they will blink back to them from the grass. Wow. Something also while we're talking about fireflies that I think is really beautiful 
is that they follow the shadows. So if you watch early in the night, they're really low in the grass because they need to be seen. And then as the moon rises and the sun sets, the shadows get longer and they fly higher and higher and higher. And then by nine or 10 o'clock, they're up in the trees and it just looks like Christmas. And sometimes they're able to like synchronize. Some species can synchronize their blinks. So it just looks like these huge lightning flashes. It's just incredible. That is incredible. All right, George Pagliarulo on Facebook wants to know, why do June bugs keep flying into screens and why do they always die on their back? Do they watch cartoons of dead bugs and figure that's the honorable way to go? Beetles and generals are really clumsy flyers. They have these big, thick top wings and then these membranous back wings. So June bugs are really fast, but they're clumsy. And that's why they're always flying into your screens. They're just a bunch of ding-dongs. But the reason (laughs) that they die on their back, bugs are top-heavy. So when they die, their little leg muscles pull in. So they cross their little legs together. And when that happens, because they're top heavy, they flip over on their backs. So it's just gravity. I thought it was peer pressure all this time. I did. I thought it was peer pressure. (laughs) All right. So on Facebook, I I hate to go to a less pleasant subject, but Joanne Robinette wants to know, what are the most dangerous insects to mammals and also to birds? Well, it's the same as mosquitoes. Oh, yeah. It's the deadliest animal in the world is a mosquito. And they kill um, almost a million people a year in the world now, about 900,000 a year through the stuff that they transmit, like malaria. And they also kill a lot of birds. So mosquitoes are jerks. But only a few mosquito species are real jerks to humans, right? There are tons of mosquito species in this world, and they are actually beneficial. Some of them swim around in ponds eating bad mosquito babies that can hurt people. Some of them only, you know, go for reptiles. They're, they're, we have a tremendous diversity of mosquitoes around us, and a few of them give everybody a bad name. Yeah. And also, you found if you alter this diversity of mosquitoes, like you just are like, I'm going to kill all the mosquitoes. What usually happens is that the bad actors, they're the ones that come back in full force. So you really don't want to like screw around with it too much. Yeah. It's like if you spray for Republicans, it's the same thing. Um, All right. Another lightning bug question from Beth C on Facebook. Are there fewer lightning bugs today than 30 years ago? And why are they only seen around June? Yeah, there are fewer lightning bugs. There are fewer of many, many different types of bugs than there were 30 years ago because we're destroying all of our natural habitat. Lightning bugs need ground to live in. The babies like to eat earthworms and slugs. They need places to eat those things and to grow. And there have fewer and fewer places to do that. They also don't do well with light pollution. And the reason you see them in June, wherever you are, that they thrive in the summertime. So here we start seeing them in June but we'll see them throughout the summer. So wherever you are, June must just be your season. C-Lips on Twitter has this to say, ants in our vegetable garden, are they pests or beneficial? And what preys on roly-polies? Let's start with the first one. Ants are extremely beneficial in your garden, even the ones that you hate. Many of your garden plants, your beans, your flowers, those plants are producing nectar just so that the ants will come and protect them. And when you remove ants from the gardens, you get increases in aphid populations. You get all kinds of things that are really bad. They're also good at turning the soil around your um, plants. So hooray for ants in your garden. They're great to have. Excellent. Now, what preys on roly-polies besides John Lasseter? (laughs) So... 
they are not bugs. Roly-polies are crustaceans. They're really closely related to crabs. So if you look at them and you think about those like little copepods and stuff that live in the ocean, you can see that they look like that. They breathe through their gills. That's why they're always under stuff because they like moist environment. If they dry out, they can't breathe because they have their bellies have gills all over them. Everything eats roly-poly. Spiders, centipedes, millipedes, mice, ants, frogs, toads, you know. Roly-polies make a really great meal for a lot of things. I feel like someone should tell the roly-polies that they're crustaceans and not bugs. Because, you know, it's like somebody doing their silly uh, 23andMe or something and finding out like, oh, you know, I thought I was Irish. Turns out I don't have a drop of Irish blood in me. (laughs) They're they're living a life that's not really theirs, you you know. They are. And and they must wonder why everybody eats them. They must just think they just have bad luck. (laughs) Uh, Eleanor, that was super excellent. And we need to do this again and again with you. But right now we're going to take all of that fresh, hot, Bug information, um, and we're going to run it through the old Pounce-donator. Paula? House Ben, Mark Towns from Los Angeles. Thank you for classing up our Bugapalooza show. You sound wonderful. You sound like we're paying you a lot of money, which is amazing. If I could get a little background music, I'll tell you what the old Pounce-donator spit out. Dr. Eleanor Spicer-Rice, thank you so much for teaching us how many bugs are features. This was really fascinating and an unexpected glimpse into the world of law enforcement. We've got an adult male, appears to be in his mid-30s, no identification found, looks like he suffered blunt head trauma. Not a lot to go on, sir. We've secured the area. Well, we'll solve this one in no time because the department and its infinite wisdom is sending along an entomologist. That could be helpful, sir. What are you talking about? How could an entomologist be helpful? Well, sir, they study insects, bugs, sir, and they, they, they study bugs? Yes, sir. I thought entomology was the study of baked goods, you know, Danish, eclairs, and the like. Sir, I, I believe you're thinking of entomans. This is different. (laughs) What the fuck is that? Jesus, look at the size of that thing. Got it. You see that? I knocked it right out of the sky with my hand. I'm fast. I still got it. I fucking hate bugs. Well, actually, sir, that was a sarcophagid fly. They're quite slow, and the entomologist will use information he or she gathers from the sarcophagid fly to find the time of death of the victim, and even what drugs may have been in their body. Oh, he or she will, will he or she? Well, he or she can talk to the bottom of my shoe. That giant fly, or witness, or detective, or whatever the fuck it was, flew right into my face. Bugs are disgusting. I fucking hate bugs. Where the hell is he or she? I tell you what, I'm gonna move over here, away from the fly squad, and eat some Fig Newtons until Professor Creepy Crawly shows up. Fuck, there's another son of a bitch fly. There's one cop that won't be marching in the St. Patrick's Day Parade. (laughs) The entomologist could have gotten a lot of data from that fly, sir. All right, all right, all right, look. Now there's a fly right on my Fig Newton, and I'm not gonna touch it. Are you satisfied? Well, sir, actually, 
That was just a common house fly. He's no help. And every time they land on your food, they vomit. Oh, Jesus! Ah, Jesus Christ! Ah, that's disgusting! It's just as well, sir. You don't want to eat that Fig Newton. <laughs> She's an author, a scientist, and our resident bug expert. Oh, do we love her. Dr. Eleanor Spicer-Rice, everybody. Yay! Yeah! Oh, my gosh. We do have to have, like, an annual bug show. Let's do it. This was fantastic. Absolutely. So informative, and so many people have bug questions. And now I'm less afraid to go out in the world or into the other room. Coming up. Two out of three ain't bad, but we can guarantee you that one out of three is complete bullshit. It's two truths and a lie when we come back. Fun fact. The only European capital without a McDonald's is the Vatican, who turned out to not have a sense of humor about proposed mascot Pope McCheese. <laughs> Thank you, Mark Towns. Yay! Oh, that sounds so good. And now, following the footsteps of Eleanor Spicer Rice, we are all going to play nobody's favorite game, Two Truths and a Lie. Lie. I am so excited to lie to you guys. Oh, I can't wait either. And to remind everybody of the rules, each of us is going to tell two truths and a lie, though not in that order, and each of us will try to guess which one is the fib. Now, Paula, traditionally... You're the one who leads us off with your two truths and a lie. All right, here they are. Ready? Number one, Timothy Leary talked me into watching the news. Number two, I rode on a roller coaster with Senator Paul Simon. And number three, I was a cheerleader. I think that, oh, it's the lie, right? Yeah, I think cheerleader's a lie. I'm going to go down I with I think so, too. Mm-hmm. Paula, which one is the lie? Number two, I rode on a roller coaster with Senator Paul Simon. Um, no. Wait a minute. We went to the amusement park. Oh, right. Oh. But Senator uh. Simon was afraid of roller coasters, and so he wouldn't go on. Uh, I was a cheerleader. Uh, For how long? What? Very briefly. <laughs> it was Pop Warner football in Sudbury, Massachusetts. I guess it was the summer maybe after sixth grade. Maybe uh, my mother wanted me to do it. And so I did it trying to make her happy. But as we know, you never failed to disappoint. I, I never <laughs> failed to disappoint them. Do you remember any of the cheers? No, no. <laughs> I tried to take my cheerleading experience on to junior high cheerleading. But even with that firm foundation of cheerleading under my belt, I still couldn't pass the audition. I wish you'd stuck with it, Paula. There's a big future in cheerleading. Yeah. You know, as I look back on my life and I see where mistakes were made, I, that's a big one right there, is yeah, that I let yeah. 
I let that follow. I should have gotten tutoring. That's what I should have done when, <laughs> when I couldn't, you know. Or I should have had my head photoshopped onto somebody else's body. That would have done it. You might have even yeah. ended up going to college. A yeah, uh, see? Exactly. Everything could have turned around. Tell you one thing. I'd still be doing a podcast. Don't get me wrong. Right. No, no, no. All roads lead to you doing a podcast, you know, in 2022. Absolutely. And Timothy Leary did talk me into watching the news. I lived with his family briefly uh, one summer, and I used to take a nap before I went out to the nightclubs, and he would come in or send his stepson in to wake me up at 5 o'clock, and they'd say, very excited. They'd all go, the news is on. And finally one night I said to him, why do you do that? And he said, you don't watch the news? And, and and I said, I don't, actually. And he said, oh, you should watch the news. But didn't he tell people to tune out? Yeah, but he tuned back in again. Um, <laughs> he, did. he was a very kind man, and he was very smart. He was certainly nice to me. So finally, what, you know what I asked him about? It, he said, oh, you have to watch the news. It's so important. And I said, well, because I ever, never have watched the news. I said, I can't. It's like coming in in the middle of a movie. I have no idea what's happened already. And he said, will you come watch with us and any questions you have, you ask us and we'll answer. And keep in mind, this is before like TiVo or, you know, you couldn't pause it or anything like that. Um, And so, you know, they're trying to watch the news. And I'm like, literally, I remember one of my questions. What's South Africa? That was one of my questions. I mean, I was pretty in the dark and uh, yeah, started watching because of Tim Leary. That's fantastic. Well, Tony Anita Hall, top that. Uh, here we go. I won the money to buy my first bike at the dog track. Ooh. On my first cruise, I won a progressive pod on a slot machine that was over $5,000. In my first Texas Hold'em tournament, I came in third. Oh, my God. It's all gambling stories. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea. I think number two's the lie, because I think you would have told us since you've talked about cruises, that you won $5,000. I'm with Bonnie. I, I think the second one is a lie. Tony has bet on running every kind of animal. Um, <laughs> Isn't Tony named after a dog track? She's named after a horse track. Oh, yeah. Santa Anita Racetrack. Tony hasn't ever told us her real middle name. It's Tony Anita Seabiscuit Hull. That's <laughs> um, but I'm going to go with the third one just because I feel like I would have talked to you about Texas Hold'em Poker, which I'm kind of a fan of by now. Adam taught improv to Texas Hold'em Poker. I did. I taught everybody <laughs> in the big tournament over at Binion's. Are you ready? I'm ready. Yes. Yeah. I did not win $5,000 on my first cruise. Oh, Bonnie and Paula called it. Oh, boy. See? Don't even try to lie to us, Tony Anita Hall. So you did win the money at the dog track, and you did take third in your first Hold'em Texas tournament. Texas Hold'em tournament. I Yeah, I took out two of my brothers. Wow. Did you ever play any Texas Hold'em, Paula? Never did. I don't want to hold Texas. If I was okay. holding <laughs> Texas, I'd put it down. If Greg Abbott would get out, it would be cleaner. <laughs> and Ted Cruz. Um, oh, I forgot about right. him. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Exactly. Ted, Ted Cruz. Who wants to hold him? Yeah. I think even his mother probably just put him, you know, she'd feed him and then like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Bonnie Burns. Let's have two truths and a lie. Okay. In my 30s, I had blonde hair. Bleach blonde, like almost white. Okay. Uh, 
I spent $250 on Candy Crush trying to get myself up to more advanced levels. Oh, my God, that's sad. <laughs> yeah, okay. Once I didn't want to sleep with a guy, but I kind of got stuck, like, at his house. And so I got in bed <laughs> with him, and I was wearing a wool sweater and jeans. And he went, aren't you hot like that? And I said, no, I like it like this. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's no way that third one is a lie. Just, just the way you're remembering it. Yeah. So now we have to choose between one truth and a lie. That's where she got her her earlier nickname, Wooly Bonnie. Uh, Wooly Bonnie. Wooly Bonnie. Wooly Bonnie. Oh my gosh. Okay, so we have to choose between which were the first two. I dyed my hair like white blonde. Uh-huh. Where they take all the color out and then they make you blonde. And the other was I spent two fifty on Candy Crush trying to advance myself to higher levels. You can spot a lot of the guys Bonnie slept with because they have rug burns. Wooly Bonnie. Yeah. <laughs> Wooly Bonnie. She wore them in the shower. All right, I'm going to go ahead and say that the Candy Crush thing is a lie. I, I bet you spent money on Candy Crush. I feel like 250 is a lot. I agree with Adam. I, I agree with Adam, too. I don't think Bonnie would even do Candy Crush. I mean, if she did, I don't think she'd ever stop, but I don't think she would do it. <laughs> okay, it's a lie. You're right. You guessed the one. <laughs> wow. Thank you, Bonnie. That was fantastic. Here come mine. Like Tony's, I'm choosing a theme. This theme is going to be me on tour. Here we go. I once toured Switzerland as the keyboardist in a jazz ensemble. I wrote and directed a play in Warsaw that was translated into Polish and performed illegally. Or I went to Canada to captain the U.S. team at the Improv World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> One of those is a lie. I think number three is the lie. None of you believe I've ever done improv. Um, that's no. understandable. I can just see you doing the other things. I think number one's the lie. I think number three is the lie. We're all over the board here. Okay, so Bonnie and Tony think the Improv World Cup is a lie, and Paula thinks the Switzerland thing is a lie. Okay, uh, number two is the lie. Oh. Wow! Oh, my what, gosh. What that's that? I wrote and directed a play in Warsaw that was translated into Polish and performed illegally. I did all those things, except I didn't go to Warsaw, um, nor did I direct it. I did write it, and I want to say a big hello to the my co-author of that play, Ukrainian Andrei Kirkov, who's currently in Kiev, and I'm reading your posts, and best wishes to you, Andrei. Uh, we're, we're all rooting for you guys, and I know it's terrible over there. I did tour Switzerland as the keyboardist in the jazz ensemble. <laughs> However, it was my high school jazz ensemble. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, and a big happy 75th birthday to my old band teacher, Ken Pollitt. I uh, turned 75 this week. And I did go to Canada and represent the United States two years in a row. <laughs> two years in a row at the Improv World Cup during the Montreal Just for Laughs Festival. Well, how did you Wait do? I think we won one year and lost the other. Oh, uh, no. you know, it was a World Cup, but there were like six or seven teams. There's not that many teams showing up for an Improv World Cup. Oh. Um, it was at World Demitas. Um <laughs> <laughs> I shudder that we don't know Adam that well, because the others I did handily. Well, you know, I play things kind of close to the vest, so it's I'm a mystery. 
Oh, sure. That's what it is. That's what it is. Hey, Paula Poundstone, what's going on in your Poundstone product empire this week? Oh, my gosh. I'm so glad you're asking. Adam, at Poundstone Industries, also known as Lipstick Nancy Incorporated, we are still bracing for the big rush. As you know, I've hired the publicity firm of Cynthia Cryer Public Relations to get the word out about our products available at the shop at paulapoundstone.com. Cynthia just got me an interview with Limited Activity Magazine, a magazine for people who don't feel like doing anything at all. They even did a photo shoot. Well, I had to pay for the photo shoot, but they'll include <laughs> the photos in the piece. Cynthia says it's worth it because this could really be my demographic. The best part is I didn't have to pay for hair and makeup because they don't ever use hair and makeup in their photo shoots at Limited Activity Magazine because it intimidates their readers. Anyway, Cynthia says stock up and staff up because the rush is coming. So listeners, now is the time to get your Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone sweatshirts at the shop at paulapoundstone.com. They have a double needle hem on the hood and pouch pocket. Nobody listens to Paula Poundstone logo on the front and a memorable quote on the back. It comes with a simple sample dialogue to help the listener who feels awkward telling people that they listen. See, Adam? They're available now in small, medium, large, extra large, and double extra large so that everyone can see that their fashion needs are met. Planting season is just around the corner. Worm castings or worm poop is what every plant dreams of. A mixture of about 20% worm castings to about 80% soil will have your plants talking back to you. For $4 per pound plus shipping, I'll send you worm poop from the funniest farm in the world. Or for $30 plus shipping, you can order the How the Heck Does She Do It package. I'll send you a pound of worm poop, plus I'll make you a personalized video where I show you a part of my worm farming process, and I introduce you to the worm that I name after you. Go to the shop at paulapoundstone.com and email me at paula at paulapoundstone.com. You know what the irony is here? I absolutely hate saying my name. All right, hold on. This just in. I also want you to know that on Saturday, April 23rd, I'll be in Portland, Oregon at Revolution Hall. On Friday, April 29th, I'll be in Denver, Colorado at the Paramount Theater. And on Saturday, May 21st, I'll be in La Jolla, California at the Garfield Theater. There's so much more I'd like to tell you, but Heidi... And Heidi, if I could just slip this in, I want to remind all of you that my other podcast, Dad Bandland, is now streaming on Starburns Audio and all available platforms, and it is going great. We're getting great feedback from our listeners. Um, come listen to the podcast that Bonnie Burns calls, What? You're really going to mention that again? <laughs> See what all the furor is about. This week on Dad Band Land, we have the guest. Believe it or not, this is kind of a huge get. We've got Brian Wecht, also known as Ninja Brian from Ninja Sex Party. That will drop just two days after this show does. That's Dad Band Land, the podcast that Paula Poundstone calls, wait a minute, you have another podcast? <laughs> on Starburns Audio. Yeah, I was going to ask you, you have another podcast? Yeah, I don't like to go on about it, Paula, but I do. Huh. That's weird. And speaking of weird, now is the time for a new segment on the show entitled, what was that vocabulary word? We don't really have a title yet, but we do have a concept, which is, Paula, 
It's the end of the show. You're famously not so good at remembering vocabulary words. You introduced a new word tonight, and here at the end of the show, I'm going to ask you to define that word. Should you succeed, you will hear the dulcet tones of John Kennedy, ex-president of the United States, in an inspirational moment. Should you fail to define this week's word, you will hear the less dulcet tones of John Kennedy, senator from Louisiana. Ah! Ah! Yes! Oh, boy! That's a fire under your butt right there! Yeah, but there's there's been a lot of water under the bridge and fire under the butt since you defined this word and sang about it in Act 1 of our show. And so, Paula Poundstone, for all the marbles and the right John Kennedy. And can you remember the word? Is it vicissitude? It is! Paula, can you define vicissitude? All right, I'm going to have to paraphrase... Uh, it's a change in fortune, um, especially uh, unwelcome, uh, 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 unfavorable or unwelcome. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Oh, my gosh. Oh, congratulations, wow. Paula. You have managed to hang on to that in your short-term memory like a, like a dog on a bone. It was fantastic. That's such an uh, inspirational sound to hear. Um, yeah. That is that is quite an award. Thank you, President Kennedy. And and I don't blame you for not coming back. <laughs> All right. Remember to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It's free. If you want to know more, if there's a subject you want to hear about, tell us. We're at nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com. And that, my friends, is our show. Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone is hosted by Paula Poundstone and me, Adam DeFelber. Special thanks to our guest, Dr. Eleanor Spicer Rice. Yes. Yay! And to our house band, Mark Towns. Yay! Our show be produced by Paula Poundstone, Adam Felber, Bonnie Burns, Ken Lizabnik, Tony Anita Hull, and Julie Berkobian. Starburns production by Land Romo. Poundstone Industries production by Vic Lowry. Transcription services for the show provided by TranscribeMe, a premier internationally used transcription service. Use code Paula Poundstone when placing your order at transcribeme.com to receive an expedited service. That's our show for tonight. Won't somebody please listen to me? It's really nice to hear um, John F. Kennedy's voice. Maybe that will inspire you to remember stuff. Oh, my. I, I hope so, because, boy, my memory. Who are you again? Uh, <laughs> oh, Adam. Good to talk to you. Um, Good to talk to you, Paul. Yeah. Knowing that I might have had to listen to John Kennedy, the senator from Louisiana. And the thing is, like, why should he be allowed to have that name? I don't think I, you can make a law about that. I, I think that's I, genuinely his name. I think there should be a law that you can't use John Kennedy's name. I don't know if that's constitutional or not. That's not my area. No, it definitely isn't because you totally can't pass a law against that name. Yeah, but honestly, if I ever saw Senator John Kennedy from Louisiana, I I wouldn't call him Senator Kennedy. No, I wouldn't either. His quote, by the way, that we would have played is, ask not what Cracker Barrel can do for you. But how much fat back you can suck down. I, You know what? <laughs> There's a certain country bear jamboree look to the guy. But what's weird, he creates that. He like, You think he cultivates it? Yeah, ab- no question. Absolutely. Oh, my God. Oof. You know, there's no more Country Bear Jamboree. I know. Oh. I, you can't go to Disney and see it. So John Kennedy, the senator from Louisiana, is just doing birthday parties. Yeah. <laughs> 
Podcast Network.